Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Conf T with URSC, recorded Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on the show. I am your host, Brian Young, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Boyd. How are you, sir? Doing well today, Brian. Thanks for asking. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's been a while since we've been able to put out an episode. Um, lots of uh, lots of changes here, lots of vacations kind of overlapping and uh, things we couldn't get organized. So appreciate you um, uh, listeners that have been waiting so long for another episode. But I think um, I think you'll be happy with this one. This was um, this was a great conversation. Uh, what, what, did you, what are your initial thoughts here, Boyd? I know I usually save it to the end, but uh, what were your initial thoughts on on this uh, recording? Even though I, I know you weren't able to be there in person. Yeah, I am uh, upset that I missed this one because it was very good. Um, but I just finished listening to it, and it's a great story. I mean, it's a very interesting episode, and you know, I don't want to spoil it, but um, <laughs> I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to the story and uh, hearing some some of the technologies that these people have been working on. Yeah, absolutely. Without any more spoilers, let's just jump right into it with our episode number 37 on Fluid Mesh. All right, so we are here with Cosimo and Umberto. I'm not I'm going to murder your last name, so I'll let you guys say your own last names, but um these guys are co-founders of Fluid Mesh, a recent Cisco acquisition. They were kind enough to come on the podcast to talk about Fluid Mesh and what this is going to mean for Cisco. So Guys, I'll let you introduce yourselves, and Cosimo, I'll start with you. Uh, Brian, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's uh, great to be here, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to uh, speak a bit about Fluid Mesh on this uh, podcast session. Uh, my name is uh, Cosimo Maleshi, and no issues in, in murdering the last name or even the first <laughs> names. Uh, <laughs> I am one of the founders of Fluid Mesh, and uh, I've been in charge of uh, sales and marketing for the company for a number of years. Now I am part of Cisco IoT sales team and, and working uh, with the, the broader Cisco to integrate uh, Fluid Mesh into the Cisco IoT portfolio and make sure it is uh, a success. Awesome. And um, Umberto, I'll go to you now. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> My name is Umberto. I'm uh, one of the Fluidmesh founder. I started the business back in 2005 together with my brother Cosimo and another uh, two friends of ours. Uh, I've been the CEO of the company for 15 years until the acquisition by Cisco. And uh, right now <clears throat> I work for the IoT uh, BU at Cisco, helping the business get integrated and, and successful within the Cisco family. Awesome. Now the, um, the acquisition was announced, uh, I want to say probably what, nine months ago, I believe around there. The acquisition was announced at the beginning of April and okay. it was closed at the end of, of the very end of June, 2020. Perfect. Pretty pretty quick turnaround there. So um, sounds like you guys are pretty excited about it. And uh, I was happy to see that you guys are actually brothers. That's I think that's awesome. Uh, I don't think I could uh, start a uh, company with my brother. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's pretty cool that you guys are able to stick together and do that. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about what Fluid Mesh is, right? I mean, for for people that haven't been following. Um, the the acquisition or, or looking into Fluid Mesh. Um, what would you kind of start off by saying, explaining what Fluid Mesh is and, and what you guys do? So I can start saying that Fluid Mesh is a 
wireless backhaul uh, technology company. So we don't make Wi-Fi access point. We don't provide access to third-party devices. But what we do is really a replacement for fiber, okay. either fixed fiber or in situation on the move when you have a robot, a vehicle that is moving around <clears throat> at high speed and needs continuous connectivity. So clearly you cannot run fiber to a moving vehicle. So we're a backhaul company and we have been always focused on uh, the industrial uh, side of the business. So what within Cisco is called IoT uh, space. So it's mm -hmm. not much about connecting individuals and consumers, but it's mostly about connecting things, devices, uh, vehicles, uh, robots, uh, uh, and other, uh, and, and providing backhaul to Wi-Fi as well. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I know that there are some uh, companies out there on the market that do this, especially that play into the wireless ISP space with the point to point and point to multipoint uh, kind of configurations where, um, you know, getting uh, th that last mile wired delivery can be uh, expensive or in some cases just uh, uh, geographically or geologically challenging. Um, so, and I know that in, and there's other parts of the world where there's a uh, there's a need and a want and a desire to go after uh, cables, all right, to grab the copper and and pull it up out of the ground and and cash in on that, and then they pull up a wire, cut it, it's fiber, they walk away from it, and that backhaul that serves a a town or a city of of thousands is offline until that fiber is repaired. Something like a, a point to point backhaul over wireless could be uh, very very helpful uh, in in those situations. Um, and I'm going to ask you this. So when you guys were, were founding the company, what were kind of some of the, the problems that you were, were looking to solve? Sure. So we started the company, uh, I'll give you maybe a bit of background just to, to, so you understand kind of how this whole thing came about. We started the company out of a business competition at MIT called 50K. Uh, Umberto and I were students there. We had uh, some extra time on our hands and we wanted to get some exposure uh, to the business world. And, and so the business competition is an opportunity for putting a business plan together. Then you have to present it to a number of judges that give you an opinion and say, do this, do that, and, and so forth. So uh, Umberto at the time was working on uh, some mesh uh, routing algorithm. I was into uh, harsh environments, electronics, and, and similar things. And so we, we came up with the idea of doing a wireless mesh router for outdoor uh, communication focusing on, on video surveillance and, and public safety. Uh, that was kind of what we came up with. That was about 2004, 2005. So the Muni Wi-Fi concept was still out there and people thought it was a great idea. Many VC money were poured into that and uh, we tried to approach mesh from a bit of a different angle and use it to solve a problem that at the time we knew was there, which was actually sending... Uh, high definition or, or your, you know, what at the time was for SIF video over wireless without dropping uh, communication or, or degrading the video quality. So uh, as part of this process, we started reaching out to a number of video uh, vendors, you know, all the cameras, uh, CCTV cameras, manufacturers and, and recorders, manufacturers. And we got pretty decent feedback in the sense that there, did, there didn't seem to be a good wireless solution at the time to really do uh, CCTV over, over wireless. And that's kind of how we, we started thinking about 
the idea and, and it sounded like there was really an opportunity. Uh, the business competition didn't work well. They, they actually kicked us out at the first round. They said, horrible idea, never do it. Uh, go do something else. But the, the summer was actually approaching. We had uh, a few months off from, from classes. And so we said, let's open the company anyhow. And we started to um, put some radios together in our living room. And at the same time, we had one of our best friends from childhood that came to, we were living in Cambridge, in, in Boston at the time, that came from Italy to visit us. And uh, he was sleeping on our uh, living room and on the floor. And he said he was another computer engineer. And we said, listen, can you help us out? We, we have this idea, but we really don't know where to start. So uh, this, was, this happened to be the third founder of FluidMesh. And then there was, he knew another guy that he was working with that is actually Andrea which is uh, the, the fourth founder of Fluidmash. So that's how the whole thing came together. Uh, we really didn't know anything. I was, uh, I think, 22 or 23 years old at the time. Uh, and we were just trying to figure it out. Uh, that's how it started. And so it so happens that right after the summer, we signed our first distribution agreement with a distributor in Italy that was focusing on public safety and, and video surveillance. And he loved the product. He said, it's great. And he started promoting it to, to its customers. We ended up building the first 62 radios, I think, in our living room. I still remember it was very painful work. And then <laughs> uh, from there, we kind of started to figure out it and made it uh, scale. Uh, that's kind of how it, we, we kick things off. And, and the problem, what we were trying to solve is really make it reliable, easy to install, and uh, and uh, able to handle high throughput, which was a challenge in, at the time, particularly you know in, in many Wi-Fi environments. Wow, and and this these were still stationary targets, right? I mean, the, we we yes. weren't looking. You guys weren't doing the, the mobility stuff, which we'll get into later. Which I, when I heard about this, I was just blown away with with what you guys are doing in that space. But this really sounds like a, an episode of Shark Tank, right? Where, like, uh, the guy that that uh, did the ring cameras, he was kind of told, "Nope, this 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 sucks. No one's going to want it. It's a horrible plan." And he just sold his business to Amazon. So, I mean, it's it's kind of the, the same success story that that uh, you and your brother here are sharing with with this in terms of going through that competition and pretty much being told, "No, this this really has no use case," and uh, uh, getting it to the point now where where Cisco has acquired you. So, I. I I, I hope you guys are very proud of, of what you've built here. Absolutely. We're extremely proud. Uh, it's important to realize that the process took a long time. I mean, it took us 15 years to go from, uh, you know, that, that living room and the business competition to, to what we are today and, and being part of, of Cisco now. So it's been a long process with many, many people that have assisted us at the time. But um, no matter what, yes, we did start from very humble beginnings knowing very little about what we were doing and just uh, being consistent enough to to succeed. There you go. No, I, th I think uh, if, if anyone takes anything from that, it's that uh, don't give up, right? Uh, stay humble, stay uh, stay strong, stay encouraged, and uh, keep keep pushing for, for what you believe in and uh, look for help along the way. So that's that's awesome. Um, uh, Umberto, did you have any uh, any comments, anything you wanted to add to the uh, to kind of how you guys got started? 
No, the, the recollection that Cosmo made is, is absolutely, is absolutely co correct. You know, we started from a failure and we were able to overcome the, 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 the fear of failing again. And, and then we tried to, to, to launch the business. <clears throat> it wasn't a business. This was a bootstrap business. It wasn't a business funded by any large venture capitalists from the Boston area. That I think is something else that is peculiar in our business, given that we were in Boston and we were a high tech company. <clears throat> right. But for a bunch of different reasons, we decided to not raise um, funds at the beginning. We had the luxury of selling a very expensive product, highly profitable for us. And so we were able to collect money from the customer that is even better than raising capital from venture capitalists at the beginning. And we were able to fund our um, operations through cash coming from customers at the beginning. And so there was something else that I believe built into the, was help the culture of the company in becoming very customer focused, very market focused. Our priority was satisfying our customer, building something our customer wants, and they will pay a good amount of money uh, for it. I think uh, Cosmo said it best, humble beginnings, right? Bootstrap, you guys weren't funded by some uh, big VCs. You, you, built it out of your living room and, uh, and, and brought it into what it is today. So that's, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, congratulations on that guys. I think, I think that's fantastic. Thank um, you. No, absolutely. So you guys started off, um, with, with this here, with the, um, with the, with the backhaul, uh, piece in mind going over, um, over wireless, being able to deliver high speed, uh, without losing any data or anything like that. Now, one of the things that I have found particularly interesting with what Fluid Mesh is offering today is in the mobility space, specifically around things like connected trains. Um, can you guys dive into that a little bit with me and, and kind of walk me through how that started and, and what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. So that started because a bunch of our customers at the time, when we started developing these back in 2009, 2010, <clears throat> were... Uh, police departments, mostly in the US. And these police departments were using at the time our technology to connect fixed locations and cameras. And they wanted to, uh, they were asking us if we had capabilities to connect in something on the move, like their vehicles or, or a mass transit vehicle where they wanted to stream some video from or mm -hmm. to. <clears throat> so we started looking at this. We didn't have a solution at the time. So we started working with our development team on this, on this problem, actually. At the beginning, beginning through a partnership with an Italian university, the University of Pisa, and then internally. Um, and when we developed the technology after a couple of years, we realized that we had something in our hands that was way better than what we expected. Mm. We immediately realized that we had something that was a very, very good, very, a much better mousetrap than what anybody else had. And we also realized at the time that the opportunity for this technology we developed for high-speed handover and mobility, wireless mobility, that, that the best application was not in the public safety uh, space we were playing it with police departments, what, but had a bunch of other applications, and we started in rail. We realized that the rail market was a big market, and there was a strong need for this kind of technology. So we started approaching all the large rail system integrators um, uh, that were connecting trains for various applications, including internet on board, but also controlling automated trains that, that are driverless, or streaming live video from these trains. And we started presenting our technology. And 
and we realized that these guys had issues. They were using standard Wi-Fi technology at the time, most of these guys, and they were they were very unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. So it took us a few years to get in, but just to give you an idea, there are essentially six large rail system integrators in the world that own the market. And, uh, and at the time when we l- developed this back in 2012, we launched it in 2012, 2013, no one was a Mesh customer at the time. Uh, fast forward after five years approximately, out of these six, only one is still not using our technology. Everybody else essentially standardized on our technology. That gives you an idea of how our technology has been um, considered superior to anything else by the market itself in a, in a fairly short amount, of, you know, in just in a few years. Wow, that, that's impressive. I, I, can't, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to break into the, the rail market, right? I mean, rail has been around for, for so long and they can be... Uh, very tried and 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 true in in their methods of doing things and their way of doing things and the partnerships that they have. So um, it sounds like it was a pretty um, pretty difficult thing to break into, uh, but obviously obviously you did it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's a very conservative uh, industry that has been around for centuries, where things moves in in decades and they don't change, you know, every year like in technology. Right. And and the reason why we were successful is because we were able to show them that we had something better and something that really solved their problem. If right. our technology was not 10 times better than what they were using, it would have been impossible to break into an industry that is so conservative and so inclined just to stick with what they know and rather than changing and innovating. And so uh, but we had we had a solution for them, and they had a problem, and and so that helped us over a, a fairly short period of time to to break in and, and become the market leader. Yeah, and Brian, there was there was another I think trend which is uh, probably interesting to mention here. When we started uh, focusing on on these markets, and rail was the first one we tried to capture. Uh, there was a need for this technology. It was still somewhat the early days of of train. Uh, automation and autonomy and so uh, we saw uh, a lot of growth in uh, since we started focusing on rail to today and we expect the growth to keep going and also the market was so niche at the time and it still somewhat is that the big players were not really paying attention to it so we found ourselves really early on in in an industry that had a burning need for a better wireless technology we were able to get in at the right time and then it kind of uh, took off from there and so uh, that was uh, good timing it was also good that there was kind of a second cycle of, of fluid mesh growth we started in a market which was a lot easier to manage as a smaller company we built a lot of the company around that market which is the public safety market with fixed things and so we were able to scale things up from a engineering standpoint, customer support standpoint, sales standpoint, I mean, marketing, everything kind of scaled up on that market. And then as soon as we figured out that roaming networks were actually a thing and there was a market for it, we had all that knowledge that we were kind of just bringing over to this much bigger, much more complex market. And and that kind of helped us to to then take the company to the next level. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like when you're when you're trying to break into any industry, right? It's it's one part skill, one part luck, and three parts timing, right? You, if you're hitting it at the wrong time, uh, too early or too late, 
uh, it can be just as detrimental, uh, whether it's too early or too late. So it, it sounds like you really kind of uh, hit hit on all three of those. Uh, and of course, having that kind of the, the, the build up before that, understanding the product, building up your engineering or R&D support, stuff like that, so that when that opportunity came, you're really able to run at it and prove to them, hey, we've got a better mousetrap here. Let's show you how it works. And let's show you how we can support it and get it implemented, et cetera. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned, Umberto, that it was, uh, I, think you, I think you called it out as, as 10 times better than what they were uh, doing today. And I won't hold you to that uh, exact uh, specification, but I am curious, um, what, what about fluid mesh made this particular use case such a better mousetrap? What really kind of sold... Uh, the rail industry and moving uh, most of them moving uh, over to to fluid mesh from their current uh, solution. So the the main issue that these um, players in the rail industry were experiencing is disconnection when a wireless device moves from the coverage area of one access point of one base station to the to the following one, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and yeah, I'm not sure if it's 10 times better or, or what's really the, the, the right <laughs> multiplier, but I'll give you an idea of with, with, some, with some numbers. So okay. a typical uh, Wi-Fi, uh, an off-the-shelf Wi-Fi solution typically has a disconnection when you hand over from one access point to the following one that goes from 60 millisecond to 700 millisecond. This right. is the time where you have no connectivity. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to lose all the packets that are sent into this period of time of 60 to 700 milliseconds. Our solution has zero millisecond handover time. So there is no single packet that gets lost in that connection. So is that 10 times better? I don't know. Is it uh, a, a <laughs> Sounds like 700 time, times better. <laughs> or a zillion times better. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever it is. But you go from something that disconnects for a certain period of time, longer or shorter, depending on the solution, depending on the vendor, to something that does not disconnect at all. So there is zero disconnection, zero packet loss. And so that was one of the measure advantages that really made um, a very big difference. And these are industries where disconnection is mission critical. Right. Because, this, because if a train, if, I'll give you an example, an, an automated train, an automated train, if it doesn't have constant connectivity and it disconnects, he has to go through an emergency brakes scenario. Mm. So imagine you have hundreds of people uh, in a tunnel underground on a mass transit uh, vehicle, on a train, on a metro. And that train goes into an emergency brake. So it's a pretty life-threatening emission critical. So it is, you're not going to get the train smashing into the, the train in front. That's not the, the risk. Right. But even if the train does an emergency brake, stop in the middle of the tunnel and offloads hundreds of people in a tunnel, yeah. people might panic and they might, you know, you might get injured people very easily. You might get mm-hmm. some casualties very easily. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging scenario that they need to avoid. And so for them, this connection, you know, be able to send the packets and not having the wireless network available is very critical. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be a scary situation at the least or a fatal one at the, at the worst, right? But um, that, that's impressive because, I mean, Wi-Fi roaming has always been a difficult thing, right? I don't think Wi-Fi was ever really built for roaming uh, in mind. And there's been a lot of different technologies and different methods of, of roaming, including things like uh, single channel Wi-Fi, where everything's just on the same channel and the APs just ignore or, 
or, or listen to various clients so that it appears that there is no roaming, but there's trade-offs with that. Um, you know, and all the, the newer technologies that have been built for, for fast handoffs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there is still some reconnection time. There is still some loss. They may reduce it a little bit, bring it down closer to that uh, 60 millisecond time, but there is still some loss. And even in cellular, the handoff is, is not seamless. There, there is some loss there as well, even though it's a lot faster than, than Wi-Fi. But you're telling me that with the technology that Fluid Mesh has, you're talking zero millisecond handoff, no packet loss in that stream. Absolutely. This is what I'm telling you. And it's so amazing that some of our customers who were testing the technology in the lab uh, were not believing what they were seeing. It wasn't saying, this, this, this is not possible. Something is wrong in the testing setup. <laughs> we've, we've seen it, you know, because, because everybody believed that you can improve, but you cannot really solve it. Right. So everybody believed that you can go from 700 milliseconds to 60. Maybe you can bring it down to 30, or you know, you're gonna have, but you're gonna have some disconnection. Right. You're gonna so have the something. concept. The concept that you you really that we had developed something, a breakthrough, uh, that really flipped the table around and and solved the problem, not made it better. Not is not mitigation. It's really a complete uh, theoretical solution to the problem that just bring the problem goes away. That's something that our customer didn't believe was possible. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it now. And, and again, this is the second time that I'm hearing about this because we, we had a, the prep call yesterday and I'm still just as utterly shocked because again, as a, as an SE, right. I understand how wireless works. I get the process. I understand kind of what's going on on the back end. Uh, just as you know, a lot of the listeners that are that are in tech do more than just the the average person that at the end of the day just wants their their YouTube uh, video to load, right? Um, but I, I understand how the process works, and to hear you know to hear what you're saying here uh, in the in the lab, I would probably be right there with them. Like, nope, there's something wrong. There's no, there's there's no there's there's no way you can't switch from one thing to another without some kind of a drop. But you guys have solved it. Um, and I'm going to ask another loaded question here because I already know the answer. Um, but this is only possible at certain speeds, right? If, I, if I'm in a rail system, I've got to be going relatively slow in order for this transition to happen, right? I, I can't be going really, really fast. So we've actually, uh, we haven't found a train fast enough today in existence that can actually <laughs> break this. And we've tested with, I would say, the full spectrum of train solutions out there. Uh, I think someone in our R&D did a calculation that the breakup point was 3,500 kilometers an hour, something like that. But <laughs> realistically, uh, we haven't found uh, any uh, empirical evidence of that being the case with the performance envelope that rail today requires. The fastest we've tested it is about 400 kilometers an hour, which I think is about 250 or 270 miles an hour. And it was performing equally well to a uh, standing uh, train in, uh, in a station. Uh, the truth is that uh, the way it's implemented, and maybe we can talk about a little bit what's behind it to make it work the way it works. What we have implemented is something very similar to an MPLS-based uh, communication system over wireless. So we're using labels and tunnels to actually manage all the routing in the system. And that allow us to implement a, a make before break on uh, in in roaming events. And so when you look at it, you know from from the outside, 
it's a completely seamless uh, event when you look at, at the data flowing across. But yeah, speed is, is uh, impacting us in other ways with Doppler effects and things like that. But even that, at uh, the frequency we operate on, which are usually in the two to six gigahertz space, even Doppler effects has no major impact on uh, performance. Uh, one of the other things that we haven't mentioned that I think is worth mentioning is we haven't just implemented the MPLS uh, to solve this. What we have done, which uh, has added a lot of value, is also we did very specific uh, R&D and development work for the five uh, key vertical markets we, we, we were going after. You know, rail was the first one. Then we decided to get into mining, uh, container terminal, uh, automation and ports, uh, entertainment, and then smart cities and, and public safety, which has been a market for us for, for many years. And so by being so focused on those specific markets, we were able to develop other solutions that would help. You know, a huge problem in today's wireless is the, the physical layer, you know, the antennas, the cables, the way you're actually designing the radios. And we did a lot of work there. And so we were the first company to actually introduce a 2 by 2 MIMO solution with uh, orthogonal polarities on the antennas. And so instead of using the traditional approach of doing MIMO by having uh, single polarity omnis and, and creating multipaths, so you're actually bouncing uh, signal off the walls and creating MIMO and correlation that way, what we actually found out is that that wasn't really working in an outdoor environment. You know, an open pit mine, a port, or a, a city, or even a train moving in the countryside, you're not going to have any consistency of surfaces where you're bouncing things off of. So what we actually ended up right. designing were antennas that had two elements with um, orthogonal polarities. So we had a horizontal polarity and a vertical polarity in some conditions. And then we did a number of other studies and we actually uh, did what we call the dual slant configuration, so plus and minus 45 polarities. And by doing so, we added uh, a ton more throughput and a ton more range in comparison to your traditional Wi-Fi uh, in, in exactly the same environment. To the point where uh, if you take a terminal, uh, a port, you know, container terminal, we were able to reduce the number of base stations to cover the port by about 80%. So we went from 80 Wi-Fi base stations to about 22 fluid mesh base stations. And so that clearly has a number of, of advantages, not just the cost, but also the maintenance and implementation. And so people were really um, excited about you know, seeing such a specific uh, development done for that specific industry. Uh, the downside of it is that you have to really understand those industries. And this is uh, the nature of IoT, IoT today is still very much segmented on an industry by an industry basis, meaning what you develop in mining, right. you may not be able to implement in, in the neighboring market like rail. Uh, we had the luxury mm -hmm. that the core technology was all the same. The roaming applied to all these markets, no matter what the vehicle is. We had to adjust on some of the physics, uh, physical you know, layer one stuff and, and some of the uh, implementations, but you know, eighty-five percent of it was the same, and and that clearly helped us uh, then grow from one market to the next one. No, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think I think the issue. I mean, it sounds like you guys are have really uh, cracked the code on on wireless. I mean, just just hearing you guys talk and talking about Doppler effects and uh, elements and and rotation, and it, it you know it it blows my mind. You guys have really spent a lot of uh, time, money, and effort in 
understanding how the the medium of air works and how you can use it to your effect, right? And of course, the issue with the various Wi-Fi technologies that are out there is that at the end of the day, they need to be compatible with multiple devices, multiple generations of devices as well. So being backwards compatible with uh, an older device that's only running uh, 802.11g, uh, even though you're you're running a, a Wi-Fi 6 AP, that kind of can hinder that type of innovation and uh, you know doing things that you guys have done with the, with the fluid mesh line. Whereas if you guys uh, are able to really use your hardware and software uh, to tweak it to the best of your ability uh, to make it uh, you know, things like zero millisecond handoffs on, on high speed rail uh, a thing because you're able to control and own both ends of that connection. Would that be an accurate statement? Absolutely. That's, uh, that is very, very true. You know, we focused in developing solution for customers where that had the problem uh, of the downtime, down where, where a second of downtime to them could cost hundreds of thousands or sometimes even millions of dollars. Uh, those were right. the customers that really embraced fluid mesh as a technology. And you'll be amazed by how many out there uh, are there. And with the adoption of autonomy and autonomous vehicles and, and many of the intelligence of these autonomous operations being centralized, uh, wireless communication becomes absolutely a, a, a key piece of the overall solution. Right, you can't you can't always run wires where you need it to go. Um, I did have a customer back in the day that was a, a mining operation. Uh, they've since relocated their headquarters, so they're not my customer anymore. Um, but you know, talking to them about these these various things and their challenges, they're very very unique. Uh, in you know that industry is, is has very unique challenges and and goals in mind versus the uh, the healthcare industry or the professional services industry customers that I have right um, very different use cases and as you said the IoT piece of it is very uh, segregated as well in terms of their needs uh, I had the the great benefit last year during our Cisco Impact event of spending a lot of time in the uh, in what we call the hub and talking with the IoT guys a lot for all the different technologies out there, things like LoRa for uh, very uh, low bandwidth wireless solutions, low powered, low bandwidth wireless solutions, um, all the way up to uh, some of the things we're doing with uh, industrial grade uh, Wi-Fi access points that you can put in a mine shaft or, or you know hang in a um, in an operating room, stuff like that. So it's it, every industry is, has very different needs, but at the end of the day, I think what you're finding is the commonality of I need to have communication that I can count on. I cannot afford a second or 60 milliseconds of, of downtime as we move into more automation, right? Where it is critical that these pieces be communicating with each other, with a controller, whatever, being able to provide that rock solid uh, connectivity uh, is vital. So I think it's I think it's awesome what you guys are doing here. So I I always ask this question when I when I bring on a guest from um, another Cisco product or an acquisition. But when it comes to uh, competitive differentiators, and I, I think we've already we've we've touched on a few of them already. Um, are there are there any others that you can you can bring up that when a, when you have customers that are looking at fluid mesh versus whoever? Um, that can really kind of sway them towards towards fluid mesh. 
So I can tell you about how we've been using artificial intelligence to further improve the performance of our wireless, mobile wireless solution. And so I'll get, I'll get a little bit more technical here, but I think, you know, the audience will, will appreciate this. So in most of Wi-Fi uh, solution, the, the access point uh, on, on a packet by packet basis determines, determines the data rate that is going to be used to send that packet into the air. And uh, the data rate is determined typically by looking at the performance of the link over a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And so if the link is working very well, the access point will be aggressive and will use a high throughput data rate that is not very robust. Instead, if the link is weak, uh, the access point will select a more robust data rate that is at the same time slower. Mm-hmm. So what we realize in a mobile environment with high speed uh, uh, movements is that this is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. Because if you look at the past, no matter if you look at the past five milliseconds, five seconds, or five minutes, if you look in the past and you're moving, mm. but sure if you're moving at high speed, you are going to make the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. So what we did is uh, we hired a guy who was doing his uh, master thesis on uh, machine learning, and he was trying to predict the trend of the stock market. And he wasn't very successful with the trend of the stock market, but his um, approach was pretty successful in predicting the quality of a wireless link over time. And so what we did is we uh, developed a, a new technology that we patented that essentially selects the optimal data rate, not based on the past few five milliseconds or seconds or minutes or whatever you know approach that everybody else in the wireless industry has been using for decades at this point, but is, is looking at the future and is predicting what the link quality will be in the next five milliseconds, in the next five seconds. And based on that, based on the trend and based on this prediction, is select the optimal data rate. You appreciate that clearly if I'm moving towards an access point, my the link quality will go up. And so I need to be get more and more aggressive and not look at the past, but look at where I'm getting to and be more and more aggressive with my data rate selection. If I'm moving away from an access point, then my past is way better than what my future looks like. And so I need to get more and more robust because my week, my link is going down in terms of, in terms of strength. And, and so I need to get a, select a more robust data rate, for example. So that's something else that is not really... Uh, it's nothing to do with the roaming that we discussed so far, but it's another technology, another patent technology that we developed and that provided a significant improvement in the overall throughput because being able to select the right data rate gives the technology the ability to harvest a bunch of additional throughput that we were, in, we were, we were, we were not able to capture before. That is, that is impressive. And I find it hilarious that a guy that goes to develop an algorithm to predict the stock market finds an algorithm that's great at predicting wireless signal strength. Um, and I, I wonder if we have someone that's focused on wireless signal strength, if they were to pr- work on that, if it would actually do good on the stock market side. Maybe maybe they're kind of flip-flopped, but <laughs> you can tell me what the next yeah, lottery you know, numbers the stock are market, there is sort of a There is sort of an <laughs> adverse selection. You know, If you yeah. are able to predict the stock market, you're not going to join Fluid Mission and, and you're not going to join Cisco. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you come across an algorithm that's good at predicting uh, the next lottery numbers, let me know. Uh, I'd be very yeah. interested. <laughs> 
that that is uh that is impressive stuff um and i think that kind of goes into uh kind of the next bit that i wanted to to talk about here is kind of the fluid the yeah the future of fluid mesh uh and what you guys are working on um i think more importantly now now that the acquisition is closed um uh, you guys are settling into your roles now uh as a part of cisco um just kind of wanted to hear from from you both on where you see yourselves going uh, with the new roles at Cisco, how Fluid Mesh is going to be uh, integrated in. Again, these are all forward-looking statements. Nothing should be uh, uh, taken, you know, everything should be taken with a grain of salt here. But um, uh, just kind of wanted to get your uh, your opinions on that. Uh, Cosmo, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, so, Brian, I'll, I think, you know, first of all, uh, it's important, I guess, to realize that for us as entrepreneurs and, and founders of the business, this is uh, an awesome opportunity and we spent 15 years wondering uh, what we would be able to do and achieve if we had unlimited resources and an unlimited sales force and an unlimited you know team around it and so uh, it's like someone it's like taking a, a kid to a candy store that is uh, you know three stories tall and 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 huge in size with unlimited you know supply uh, so it's an opportunity for us in, in really proving what the technology is worth and taking it to its maximum uh, capacity, let's say. And so the whole team has been extremely pleased uh, of the acquisition and we're extremely excited about uh, integrating Fluid Machine to the Cisco portfolio and really see where we can take it in, in the coming years. Uh, most of my focus has been working on the commercial side of things where uh, we have developed in the last 15 years a very strong uh, ecosystem of partners that uh, specialize in all the different solutions that we developed and, and all the different markets we're in. And about 85% of those partners are not Cisco partners today. So that presents mm. actually a huge opportunity for us because we could easily... Uh, leverage that ecosystem of specialized partners and uh, provide to them a, a much more complete solution. Uh, and so I think it's it's an exciting uh, challenge. At the same time, we have the opportunity of actually providing fluid mesh technology to existing Cisco partners. And there is, uh, you know, the best of the best out there that uh, can be exposed to this technology and, and run with it. So um, definitely uh the it's been a lot of uh excitement on on my end and uh, no lack of uh you know thinking and planning to try to put all these ideas into into practice uh the team is is fully engaged in in starting to draft many of these strategies and uh, we're very much looking forward for uh, what the next uh, uh, number of years will uh, uh lead and and, and take us for Awesome. That's great. Um, Umberto, same question. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of context, um, the Fluid Mesh product line is becoming a product line of the uh, IoT business unit in Cisco. So the opportunity is what we say, hyperscaling the business. And that's what we're excited about. Hyperscaling in terms of geographies, in terms of markets. But at the same time, the Fluid Mesh soft development team, engineering team, now it's part of the enterprise business unit. So it's a team within the larger Cisco Wi-Fi uh, engineering team. Mm -hmm. And so there is, there's going to be the ability not only to expand the business as it 
stands right now on the current product line, but in the future, Cisco plans also to leverage the intellectual property that is that he purchased through the Flintmesh acquisition to make uh, much better products. They are much more higher performance in those very specific scenarios that we've been focusing on. And so re- there is really the ability not only to grow the company as it is right now, the current, uh, and expand the application uh, of the current product portfolio, but also to turn our intellectual property in something that will have an impact on a much wider uh, spectrum of applications because clearly Cisco sells millions of, 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 of access points every year. And so the, mm, the, the the impact that this can have on the on the market, on the Wi-Fi and wireless, broader Wi-Fi wireless market is, is amazing compared to what a company like Fluidmesh could have done. It, it sounds like a tall order, but, you know, just hearing your story over the past 15 years of where you guys have come from, from a uh, an MIT project uh, up to a Cisco acquisition, uh, if and the the amazing strides you guys have made from a technology standpoint. Uh, if there's anyone that can do it, it, it sounds like it's going to be you guys and, and Fluid Mesh as a whole. So um, I just want to say this is this has been an, an incredible conversation uh, for me personally to be talking with you guys, um, and I, I really appreciate the time and uh, welcome to, welcome to Cisco. Really, I mean, thanks, this is, Brian. This is cool. Thank you, Brian. This is awesome. So. Yes, thank you guys both for your time and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck to you. And hopefully uh, we'll get the chance to have you guys back on uh, in a year or so and kind of see what progress has been made and and where things are going from there. Absolutely. It's been a great pleasure, Brian. And feel free to reach out to us anytime. We're glad to provide to your audience an update on how things uh, are going. Awesome. Thank you, Brian, for the opportunity. Thank you, guys. All right, Mr. Boyd, we are back, and I don't think we uh, I don't think we oversold that one at all. What do you What do you think? No, I don't think so either. I mean, hearing these these brothers talk about the business they started is simply incredible. Hearing the story of of how they built it up from the ground, you know, no VCs, just kind of bootstrapping it, and you know, able to sell their product as soon as they created it. Just a really interesting story that you don't get to hear very often. Yeah, and, and the technology is is impressive as all hell too. Because I mean, I remember when we were doing the prep call, just kind of hearing about some of the, the the technology they were pushing when it came to, especially the railroad industry, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to have that uh, zero latency uh, tra- transitions was just incredible to me, and just knowing what goes into it, it's it was pretty mind boggling. So awesome to see uh, another piece of technology grown and, and kind of brought into the Cisco fold. Uh, and I think those those brothers, um, they worked their butts off getting to where they are today. And uh, it seems like they're really happy with uh, the Cisco acquisition as well. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that. Absolutely. Any other, uh, any other final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, just once again, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and um, have a good one. Great. Uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you for listening to Conf T with URSC. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And don't forget to rate and review, and also don't forget to subscribe so that you get notified when we publish an episode, usually every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.